this is pouring good tea, the best inspiration and um, women empowerment for ladies just like you and I. Tonight, I'm really, really excited because I have one of my favorite professional people and someone that's very likable, um, none other than Sydney Gaskins. What we're gonna be talking about and the topic of tonight is self-care, but more specifically, mental health care and what that looks like for us. I wanna start off by taking a little sip and tipping it out because this time of year, um, we wanna say thank you to all of the teachers, whether it be pre-K through doctorate, post-doctorate, and all the mentors. This has been a tough year for everybody, but thank you, thank you, thank you. I don't think our teachers get enough. And we just wanna say thank you to everyone. If you know a teacher, send them a thank you, even if they've not taught you. They've taught someone that's gonna benefit you at some point down the road. So thank you once again, and this sip, and this episode goes to the teachers that empower all of us. Now, let's get started. You sipping over there, Miss Sydney? Got my tea. Okay. We're going to start. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to start with an introduction. I would prefer you tell us who you say you are. So introduce yourself oh, to our listeners. Oh my goodness. Who do I say I am? That's like a deep question, right? Because most people would say, oh, uh, this is what I do, you know, all that kind of stuff. So I'll just start with, I just consider myself a person who is adventurous, who enjoys different things. I love cooking. Um, I love learning. And um, I love a good kill em up, like Dateline. <laughs> right. <laughs> but I am trained as a yoga instructor, a licensed professional counselor, and I'm also an organizational psychologist. Wow, very impressive, very, very impressive. It's impressive for a lot of reasons. One, I'm sure that takes a lot of dedication, education, and we need more people that look like you to help people that look like me. Um, what made you interested? What was that? moment that made you interested in be pursuing what you do in this profession and how did you know that's what you wanted to do that's interesting I don't so I would go back to into my uh counselor in middle school about something that were going on and I couldn't think of who to talk to you know and I went and sat down and talked to her about what I was feeling and mm -hmm. what I was thinking Mm -hmm. So it was my middle school counselor. And what's funny is I literally cannot remember her name, but she was the one person that I knew I could go talk to. And so I was like, well, okay, I could talk to her. And I think just as I grew, I talked to different people and I just felt comfortable. I originally wanted to be a teacher and I think I still do that in a different way. But as I know went to uh college and actually in high school I did do some teaching I was like I would take all these kids home with me I probably shouldn't be a teacher <laughs> I would take all these kids home with me and then I was in social work for a while and I was like you know I don't really want to do it that way social work as in a case manager for CBS mm -hmm. I don't really want to do that and I was like yeah I think it's more like the counseling you know I wanted to help people in a different way. And so I think it started from being in middle school 
and feeling like I didn't quite fit and I wanted to find something that I could do. And, and I went and talked to my counselor and she was like, why don't you try this? And I went, mm-hmm. okay. <laughs> That's interesting because traditionally, and we as women or women of color are often, um, historically, we go into roles, as you said, like teachers, um, child care providers, um, things of that nature. And so it's really good. And I don't imagine that when I was growing up, I didn't hear about a lot of people that were therapists that looked like me. So kudos to you. Has it been, has it been a very receptive career field for you amongst other? Because I, I, you know, in studying some psychology in the past, it's a very male dominated um, dominated career field. So how has that been for you? So I'll go back. I'll take it back a little bit. Right. Okay. So I've always played sports sure. and most of the sports I played, I was the black girl on the team. Okay. So being a black woman in a white and white male and white female dominated, um, industry, wasn't a worry for me per se. I got into it partially because I knew there weren't people who looked like me and it was something that I wanted to do. I think the struggle comes when there are, how do I say it? So feeling like you have to validate who you are within the the class. Right. (laughs) You know, um, when you go to trainings and having to make sure that you have conversations with people that include people who look like me and people who look like my friends who are, you know, who are Asian, who are Muslim, who are Buddhist, who are, you know, like you have to have to do that. And then somewhat feel like you have to justify that you do know that you see people who look like me and you should (laughs) know these Right. right. Like you should you should be having these conversations, right? Especially since you care for everyone or particularly Well, anyone. that's what your um that's what your standards of practice say. <laughs> right? <laughs> right. So um even in organizational psychology, right? Like there's not many black women or hmm. black people. So you're talking about work workplaces, but you don't have people who look like me work, going in there, right? right. Um so I think the transition for me has been relatively easy because I played most, now there's more black women who play volleyball, Right. but I played basketball in high school, but I played volleyball in college. So on my teams that I played, there was two black people. I was one of two um, my first year of college. And then the next year I was the only black person on the team. Wow. I'm used okay. to that. I played softball. Most of the teams I remember one year there was two of us on a team as a kid so I'm not like oh my gosh I'm so surprised I feel you know no I'm used to it but I also know that I have to say certain things right so I have to say you do know that's crazy (laughs) (laughs) so it wasn't a mind shift it wasn't a mind shift so speaking of mind shifts um with with that in mind we're going to look at it from the other side of the table 
you mentioned different people, you mentioned different religions and all of those um, things come into play when you start looking for help and or, you know, being the helper. Um, I identified out, I'm fine with saying that as a Christian, um, how do you, how, and, and I wouldn't ask you to identify at all. I'm just saying I could say that. And so I'm, I'm speaking for the, the little bit of people that are in my circle and I'm not speaking mm -hmm. for everybody out there, but I would say that historically women in my age group in the 40 plus and beyond age group, they struggle with the idea of therapy or community and societal norms. And because of the whole, I'm strong, I'm okay thing. So do you have experience with that? Not necessarily personally, but how do you, how do you navigate around that? I don't think that you navigate around it. I think you have to take it head on. Yes. And have the conversation like you can be strong. And I tell people when they come in my office, like, listen, these four walls, you don't have to be all of that. Right. You just don't like, you don't have to be that, you know, I have to make sure that my family's okay. Cause I'm gonna ask you, why do you have to? Right. What, what, right. what, what has you have to be that person? You don't have to do that in here because that's what has you here, <laughs> right? That's right. what has you stressed, that has you, you know, frustrated, that has you angry, that has you snapping back at people or the other <laughs> side of it. Feel like you have to be strong so you don't say anything and then you hold it in and now you have headaches, your heart you know, it's palpitating, you're having panic attacks, you're anxious, can't sleep at night, you know, all of that, you, mm -hmm. all, all of the other stuff that goes with it, you know, you're exercising so much, because I got to keep, you know, I just got to keep going. What? <laughs> no, you really don't. So you don't. <laughs> I pretend I'm that client or a client that's coming to visit yeah. you. And I still, <clears throat> I'm still stuck. Because there's that mindset and, and I'll just go ahead and say years ago, when I initially thought about seeking out a therapist, I had some conflicting mindsets. One was, you know, I was raised up in a way that if there was a problem, one, you're going to pray about it because Jesus, can, Jesus, Robitussin and ginger ale can fix everything. <laughs> but it has to be Verner's. I hate to tell you, but okay. Well, my grandmother, it was Canada Dry. She always had Canada Dry. I'm the dry. Canada Dry. So I'm, I'm the grandmother. I'm the grandmother. <laughs> but I'm that person. And so I can tell you from a personal point of view, obviously, I don't feel that way anymore. <laughs> but it was hard because I had in the back of my head some, some conditioning from family and just community that something must be wrong if you can't trust God to fix it or... Um, you felt like you were doing a disservice. So for someone that comes to you now with that mindset, how do you approach that so you can bridge the gap to helping them help themselves? So a lot of my clients, well, I won't say a lot. So it's like a third, a third, and third, right? Right. A third might be questioning, like something's happening and they're like, I don't know. Mm -hmm. A third is like, yeah, I'm Christian but I need to have some conversations about how this, like 
how does this work with what's going on in my life, right? And then there's a third who's like, meh. <laughs> like, right. They're not even worried about that. That's not even a part of it. But how I approach it is when a person comes into my office, I don't have an attachment to their belief system at all. Okay. We just use that and navigate, right? So if you're struggling and you're Christian, I wonder, so do you believe that God is big enough to take you being frustrated and angry and upset, Right. right? And then also not trying to change the beliefs, but having people look at, have, have those beliefs helped you? And is it a struggle? And how can you integrate that and actually work it out for yourself? Because I'm not here to give you the answers. I'm not attached to the answers, right? right? I just want you to be the healthiest you can be. And if that means that you question and you continue to question and you work through those things, then that's what we do. Using okay. whatever faith system, um, spirituality that you right. want to use. If you want to burn sage, burn sage. Right. Do that. Right. You know? But using whatever you have, um, addressing, like what, if you're going into church and you feel anxious, then we need to talk about that. What makes right. you anxious going? What, how do you feel Sunday morning, Wednesday evening, you know, whatever, whatever you, day it is. Right. 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 I can hire do you feel stressed? Okay, let's talk about what it is around that. If if it's, you know, you're reading this verse and you feel like you've been taught, like, you, you know, I grew up in a Christian church, right? You're taught that if you pray a certain way and something doesn't happen, then what, what do you do with that? Right. right? Especially it's if it's something big. It's conditioning exactly. and it's religiousism or because the real definition of religion is to do something in a systematic way and people don't realize that and so I think it's more about your comfort with doing something even if it's a disservice to you and you're used to it and it's wrote to you and so the unknown like you said is is scary or doing something Mm -hmm. changing change is scary yeah, out of that comes like, you know, anxiety, being anxious. Mm-hmm. If you, if you, because you can, you can couple that anxiety with what you've been told from, you know, your, your religious group or your faith leaders, right? Mm-hmm. That if you don't do something a certain way, then this is going to happen. Or what if you do this thing and something happens? right? So you can be anxious, right? Oh my gosh, they said that, you know, I shouldn't have these thoughts and I'm having these thoughts. What's going to happen to me, right? So now we have to have the conversations around, okay, have you had those thoughts before? Did something, did, did, did you end up in the lake of fire, right? (laughs) You know, being able to be that straight, like, oh, okay. Like, you know, <laughs> let's, let's talk. <laughs> yeah, you know, right. like really, are your loins actually burning? You know, like well, it might be for a whole let's different have reason. But. <laughs> well, and then that's when I refer. <laughs> you have a primary care physician, right? <laughs> when so, is the last time you had a physical? <laughs> so, anxiety. We've heard that word several times. It's like a new buzzword, or what have you. And I have a two-part question to that end. 
obviously we've been in a global pandemic. People have spent a lot of time at home. They have, um, and, and a lot of people, uh, you know, understandably are waiting to get out into the free world and do all of this kind of stuff. Um, there was trauma, there was anxiety, there was a host of issues prior to that. Um, but I'm sure that there are some things that people have discovered as a result from working from home and having children and a dog and a cat and you know the goldfish. One of the things that stuck out to me in a personal, because I'll make a lot of these things personal. I'm gonna own it, y'all. If you're listening, I'm gonna own it. Um, I recall a couple of months ago after having been in for a couple of weeks, because you can order everything in from food to yes. you know your doctor's appointments, everything you can order. Amazon. In boy right right so <laughs> we happened to go out and this particular place because I don't want to give anybody any free advertising we were at a, sh a shopping center and um I got there and I was really excited and the closer I got inside the front doors I literally had to stop because I felt anxious. I felt overwhelmed. So much in fact that one of my daughters kind of said, hey, are, are you okay? And you know, I kind of played it off and walked around. And at some point I literally found myself standing beside like a long pole, just to kind of feel like, so what are your thoughts around, you know, even though, you know, thankful for the people that have made it safe and alive through this pandemic to this point, what are your thoughts around developing some things that they may not have known about and people coming out of this? And what would you say to people that are transitioning back into work where there's lots of people and more stuff to do? And now I've got to rechange my, my, um, my everyday schedule. I know that was a lot but I'm sure you get. I need you not, be in my, not to be in my head because I was like, okay, I should have took notes. So the first part, <clears throat> a lot of people, I think, didn't know how to handle it to begin with because it's new. Mm -hmm. And anytime something is new, I always look at it from the position of it being grief-inducing. Right. Okay. Because grief is the change in patterns, right? Hmm. It's a normal and natural reaction to a loss. And there was a quick loss. I remember taking all of my stuff home, right? And being, I don't like my house is not set up for a home office. Like my desk hmm. is literally in my bedroom. How am I going to see clients? So like I'm moving stuff. I have this little table. I'm sitting on the floor <laughs> and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is just the craziest thing. Right. Hmm. But you end up doing like, it's a whole change of patterns. I hadn't left. I didn't go to the office. So people are like, what am I, what do we do? Like you're living in a bubble and it does, it can cause anxiety frustration. Some people are caught in situations that they, are used to being able to get out of. So domestic violence, you mm -hmm. have people increase in, you know, alcohol right. uh, being, being, being consumed, 
right? right? So you have all of these things going on and adjusting to it is not easy. So people had to find some type of coping mechanism, you know, whether like you saw, um, was it in, was it in, I want to say it was in Harlem, but one of the places in New York where people would stand out on their patios and sing. Mm -hmm. I remember seeing that. Like you can't, you can't go hug someone, but we have this community called song, right? <laughs> right. We all know this song. Somebody stands out and they sing it. Oh, okay. So I'm not alone. Right. Nobody cares whether or not I can hold a tune or not. And we just enjoy like being outside and connecting with each other. So it was a connection, a transfer of energy in that. that- yeah. Yeah, because I, I think people miss that, that mm-hmm. and still do to a certain extent. Because people right. like bumping elbows is not the same as a hug, right? We but it's we touch, yeah, and touch is a big thing, whether mm-hmm. we like it or not. Like being touched does something for our bodies, for our brains, right? For your heart, moving blood. There's something about touch. Um, the second part of your question, like moving back into. I guess that all depends on who you are. And and the other side, it works too, right? Someone who doesn't particularly care to be out with people might be like, this is not bad. But I think <laughs> those people were probably like, also kind of like, there's only so long. Because right. they may like to be home, but you still want to go to the store every once in a while and walk around and, you know, that type of thing. But the other side of it going back, I think people have to consider Um, on the mental health side, what are you comfortable with, you know, and how do you keep yourself safe? Like I allow clients, like they can come in, if they want to sit with a mask on, you can sit with a mask on. That's fine with me. I'm okay. I have clients who I have not physically seen in over a year because they're not comfortable with it. They're, and I, and I'm okay with that. If they're not comfortable, if you have to go back to work, Now you have to have some conversations with what are you comfortable with? How can you manage yourself? What are some of the things that you can learn to do? Like breathing exercises, grounding, being able to get up from a desk. Where are some safe places for you to step away if you become overwhelmed? You know, one of the things that I I like to teach clients because I don't don't generally see kids. So most of my clients are adults and when they're anxious, usually we, you know, tighten up. So I tell them, you know, you've got to open your chest, but you don't want to be at work doing all kinds of crazy stuff at your desk, right? (laughs) So, so I'm like, just put your arms behind your desk. Like if you have a chair and grab your hands, cause that pulls your shoulders back and opens your chest and you have to breathe. Like that's a good idea. Deep. And then you don't look crazy doing stuff. Right. Right. <laughs> I'm gonna have you out here doing all kinds of, you know, foolishness, right? Because I used to tell some clients, you can put your hands over your head, kind of like in prayer, right? Right. But you don't want to be senator that's doing that unless you want to be that person. You can enjoy. But just putting your hands behind your desk. But you want to find some small things that you can do. Mm-hmm. You gotta have your little bottle of hand sanitizer, do that. 
got little whites in the office. <laughs> I like the fact that you suggest options on so many different levels because it speaks to who we are as a people, how different we are, what our experiences are, what have you. And, and I'm going to go back to that word anxiety again, because a lot of people how for someone listening, how can they identify what anxiety may look or feel like to them? So it's excessive worry. You know, not just, <clears throat> excuse me, we all have worries. Right. But we're talking excessive worries, like you're worried about something happening to a family member. You're worried about if you go outside and, you know, you get in the car, like what can happen? Mm -hmm. I could get, you could, but right. you've probably done it a million times and it hasn't happened, right? Um, you worry about the grocery store. You worry about, you know, you, it's just excessive worry. You may also have a racing heart, mm -hmm. right? Like sweaty palms or sweaty, you know, feeling clammy, um, hard to breathe. Okay. Type of things. You may also be a person, and this is something that doesn't usually, I think most people don't think about when they connect anxiety, but having a hard time sleeping. That is falling asleep, staying asleep, or getting up earlier than you normally would. I'm not talking like 10 minutes. Right. I'm talking like hours. Right. If your oh, alarm is supposed to go off at five and you wake up at three, hmm. and then you can't go back to sleep. Right. Um, or you wake up in the middle of the night and you fall asleep and then you wake up again 30 minutes later. You fall asleep, you wake up again an hour later. You mm -hmm. know, those interruptions can be indicative of anxiety. So with like the chicken, because that sounds a little bit like insomnia as well. So with the chicken mm -hmm. and the egg, is it insomnia begets? the anxiety or anxiety begats the insomnia or they kind of like intertwine they exasperate insomnia is what it's called okay when you can't sleep yeah okay yeah. so insomnia is just what it's called and it depends on what phases does that make sense like it does you it can does. have you know you can't fall asleep but it's all um a a phase of insomnia so it insomnia can can be something that someone who's depressed experiences as well, right? Okay. So it's just what it's called. All right. Know. It's, that's it. But okay. um, often when you're anxious, your mind is still going, right? Your mind is going, you're worried, can't sleep, breathing, all that kind of stuff. And so you might fall asleep and you wake up or you fall asleep and you get up early or you can't fall asleep and it takes a long time. Okay, so I'd like to ask another word. I have two. Um, one is depression. Some of us, a lot of us think we know what depression looks like. What are some things that you, that those who are not in the know would be surprised that depression looks like? Some symptoms. Depression can look like a person that you see on a regular basis who smiles. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people see the commercials, you know, they have the little cartoons that walk around with the right. cloud over their head. Right. <clears throat> yeah, no, 
<laughs> depression depression doesn't you don't often see it readily if right. that makes sense, right it is something that someone is internally feeling and you may see it you may hear it so you may hear the way someone speaks about things right they may be speaking um about being frustrated they may be quick tempered they may over time be really sleepy often right but and that's one of the things like people might think oh they have insomnia or they're sick or you know there's also let me put in like there is depression as a a clinical diagnosis diagnosis but there is like you feel you just feel depressed right right those are two different things right? You can feel depressed and not be clinically depressed. Right. Right. Like if you feel depressed a day, (laughs) right. That's different than weeks or months or being off and on, you know, cyclically. So depression can, can very much look like you and I walking around and you see one of your girlfriends and she hangs out every once in a while with you. But then when she goes home, She's struggling. Right. And, and I most think most of the day she's she's not feeling good. She's frustrated. She doesn't enjoy many things that she used to on a regular basis. She is sad. She doesn't want to talk to many people, but she kind of muddles through to to save face. You can totally that 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 happens oftentimes, right? And we, how many times have we heard of something, right? Of someone who, oh, I, I never knew. And they've committed, they have, um, I, I don't want to say committed suicide, but they died by suicide, right? Right. Well, but she was just at our house and we had a baby shower. Uh-huh. That's and a question think, too. Yeah, <laughs> it is. And I'm glad you explained that because a lot of times, um, we don't know that we're depressed. We don't even know what we're supposed to look look for because like you said, conditioning, yeah. we see commercials and different things or we think it's supposed to be something that's a weak person or a sad person or this gray cloud. And so I'm really glad for our listeners that you broke down some of the, the variable ways that depression, what it can look like. It could be the person that's smiling and joking and rushing to take care of you. So I would encourage anybody that's listening or watching to say, hey, the next time you see that little meme that says, check on your strong friends, actually do that because Mm -hmm. you'd be surprised how many of the smiling, strong, you know, people that are really suffering in silence. And knowingly that they're depressed or may not know. They just think I'm going through whatever. I'm I'm not. Well, because that's what we're taught. Yeah. But that's what we're taught in in our community is that you just get through it. Right. Right. Like that's what our people do. Right. We've been doing it for for years, 400 plus years. Right. Um, yeah. And there were people who um were not well, they were frustrated, they were angry, they were sad, their home life was terrible. They were at each other's throats. They were, you know, angry, mean. And then they showed up at church on Sunday and had their tambourine. Right. And they put on their robe. Right. Or 
they were the pastor, mm -hmm. right? They were the usher. Mm -hmm. They were uh, the lead of Wait the mother's Wait I don't board. know because I, yeah. all the ushers I've known were pretty mean, so... <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry if you're no, I, I hear give me your gum. They want yeah. your gum. Give me your gum. You don't sit there. My gum ain't bothering you. Slice, I'll share. But yeah, I I can see that. I can definitely see that. Um, yeah. Uh, wow. That that's an eye opener because when you were saying that, so many people from my past, even as a child, came to mind. And I'm just thinking you need a, you just needed a hug because you, you needed, you needed some you time, some self-care and some mental health care. So um, that's, that's, that's pretty big um, for people who have not either had a good experience or they, they're contemplating going to speak to a therapist. What are some things that they should be looking for. If I'm a woman and I'm ready to get out there, or I had a bad experience years ago, what should I be looking for? And what do I have the right to look for? Because a lot of people don't know that. I love that question because that's something I actually want to um, do some work on. And I don't want to say work, like share with people because when, when um, prospective clients call me, I tell them, I want you to ask all the questions that you have. I do a free 15 minute consult and sometimes they go a little bit longer, but I want, and, and I try to keep it focused, but I want them to feel like they can ask questions. And I say, if you call to talk to someone and they don't want to spend time answering your questions, they're not your people. Mm -hmm. They're not your therapist. Because if you're new to it, Someone needs to be willing to sit with the fact that you're new and this can be a little bit scary. It's overwhelming, right? That you're actually opening up something you probably haven't talked to many people about. Right. And you want to be sure that this is the right person. So you have the right to ask. I would, I would love to say anything, but you know, people go way too far. So um, <laughs> exactly. Somebody gonna push the buttons, right? So you have the right to ask, you know, about their training. You have the right to ask me about my hours, about my fee, because that should be something that should be known, period, right? right. Um, what insurances do you take? Um, have you ever dealt with someone like me? Right. So mm -hmm. there are places in the U.S. The fact is that there's not a lot of therapists who are black and brown. OK, so. Many people are going to end up with someone who doesn't look like them. Right. And that's not just and, and there are there are therapists who don't look like you and I who are. Um, are well versed in working with different cultures. Right. Mm -hmm. but you want to ask the questions and listen for whether or not they answer them in a way that you're comfortable with. Mm -hmm. Now that's not to say go into it, just waiting to get the gotcha moment. Like I knew right. she didn't know you, you know, like <laughs> you don't know nothing, you know, he never worked with no black people, right? No, <laughs> you want to be like, oh, okay. 
if you want a woman, you want to find out, have you ever worked with a, a, a black woman? Right. Um, what was their experience? How would they handle certain things? With what's going on right now, you have the right to be like, listen, I don't agree with X, Y, and Z, you know, or I feel like I need someone who will understand that there are some racial things going on in my life, or I'm fearful of that. Is that something that you feel you can address? Don't not say it and then get in, in session and not talk about it and then go to your friends and be like, you know, she don't even ask me. Well, it's your session. Really, it's not talk to help. about it. Right. Yeah, like ask because if they if they aren't prepared to handle that, then they're not your people. Now, on the back side of that, I tell all of my clients when they come in and and we I do this intermittently, right? Mm-hmm. That this isn't a contract that you can't get out of. <laughs> right? Like if you come in and something isn't going well, and I'm not addressing something first, I want you to address me. Let's have the conversation. Whether it's about your finance, okay. you want to talk about what's going on socially and I haven't said anything, talk about it. Ask me about it. Let's talk about it. Second, if you get in sessions and you're not comfortable, address it, see how they continue with it. And you have the right to be like, I don't want to be in this anymore. Right. And you're done right? It's over with that. And that's a, okay. a therapist is, <clears throat> what'd you say? And that's okay. It is absolutely all right because it's your life. It is your money. It is your time. So if you decide I'm done this session, like I told you three weeks ago, this is what I want to do. And here we go, not working. And you're like, I'm done. And they say, well, I want to do one more session to close out and you don't want to come back. You don't have to come back. You don't. So I have a personal share, a host transparency moment. I, Mm -hmm. when I initially went for therapy, there were a lot of things. um, And and that'll lead to another question. There were a lot of things. And then I, I just wind up stopping because I did not feel like I had a voice even in my own care. And Mm -hmm. rather than to address it and, you know, bring and be very, upfront about it, I just stopped going. Well, at the end of the day, Mm -hmm. that only hurt me because I still hadn't worked through whatever I needed to. And um, once I got real clear about, I actually need to work with someone um, and went back, I had my voice and I was very clear when they were assigning someone, this person not only needs to be a woman of color, They need to be an older person. That was very specific for me. And the lady kind of looked at me um, and she said, well, if you don't mind, she was very, very clear. She said, are you racist? And I said, no, that's a whole nother topic, but mm -mm, not at all. And she says, well, do you mind if I ask why it has to be someone of color and why they have to be at least 30 plus years older. And I said, I'm I'm fine. And I said, I I want you to take and really listen to me because this may help someone else. And the reason why it was important to me is because if you've got trauma that you're dealing with today, 
or in this case I did, but it was also impacted by some stuff from years gone by. Um, I needed somebody that could understand that. Somebody, when I say certain things that even if it hadn't happened to them specifically, it was relatable, yeah. um, you know? And so to have, and you know, I, all respect to everybody, but someone who grew up, I didn't grow up with technology. So I know what it's like to hang up on somebody and all of these different things. And so even some of those things pre-1990 affect my life positively and adversely. And I needed somebody that could understand that. So that was the, me advocating for myself was the best thing I could have done. And to hear you give suggestions on questions that one might ask. I didn't ask any of those questions, by the way. Those are great suggestions and how and where to address the problems um, for anybody, man, woman, or if you're going in for your child for therapy. Those are great questions. Um, yeah. If I can add, one of the things that, that I thought of was the, the importance of, I can't overstate the importance of having someone who understands you, mm -hmm. right? Because I have I have clients that I would consider are marginalized. So they are Hispanic, Black, and LGBTQ. Okay. And being able to have someone sit across from talk about their braids being too tight and having the conversation around like okay i get it like right. this is the first time you've had braids like being able to have that conversation in a counseling room it wasn't that i didn't think that it could happen right mm -hmm. but i think it's important to be able to have a space where people can say those things like to show up with your your bonnet on and no somebody's not like what Right. Like literally having clients do that or, you know, someone talking, having a movie reference. Right. Right. That you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw that. I saw that. Right. You know, <laughs> you know? got any more for me, mister? You know, okay. exactly. <laughs> exactly. You get it. You, get it. <laughs> you see, <laughs> you don't have to say anything with that one. Right. 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 So when you have. <laughs> You have that happen, right? And and it's it's a moment where you get that who you who you are really makes a difference. And having a space where um, where people who feel like they didn't have a space to be before can be, mm -hmm. because I I don't I don't pretend to be Hispanic at all, right? I know enough to get by no enough Spanish to get by right but my Hispanic clients chose me because they wanted someone who would be able to at least recognize that there's some similarities in our experiences mm -hmm. and would be able to sit with that right would be able to sit with what comes with being a brown person in this country right and wow. that makes a very, a big difference. And, and listen, there's the, we have some cultural references that are similar too. <laughs> well, here's right? the thing. If I'm in the middle of therapy, I, 
and I'm I'm unpacking who I am <clears throat> and my experiences, the last thing I want to do is to educate you. I don't want to have to explain this, you know, and I can't even think there was something that a client had said once and, and the light bulb went off for me with them mm-hmm. because I was like, I'm so glad. And, and that they don't have to explain that expression. Right. And I forget what the expression was because I had heard it before. Right. Right. But they said it. And I thought to myself, could they have said that? In another um, office with another therapist and that therapist understood the context and what that meant, because it's easy to be in a conversation with someone and try to get context. Like, I think that's what that means. Right. But in therapy, you don't have the luxury of that. So they say something, you got to be like, wait a minute. To hone in on it. I need to go back. Right. And explain explain that right but when it's a cultural reference that mean really means something you don't want to have to explain that to somebody you do not want to have to explain that to someone and I'm really grateful for the fact that I have grown up with many different people and am interested in history and so my connection to different communities I do have some points with the people who come see me Mm-hmm. So they don't necessarily have to explain those things. They don't have to say explicitly, this is what that means. No, right. are there some? Yes, <laughs> there are some. And I'll go, they'll say it. And then I'll be like, <clears throat> so like five minutes ago, you happened to mention this. Can you tell me what that means? <laughs> right. They're like, yeah, that's what that is. Oh, okay. Got it. Okay. I'm, I'm good. Right? right. But I think even though when you think about choosing a therapist and the questions that you would ask, it also comes down to like when you're talking to them mm-hmm. um, and if it's a consult or it's the first time you meet them, being able to start feeling secure with being able to say certain things in their presence and they understand and not have to explain those things. Because when you, if you have to censor certain things, I'm not saying that therapy doesn't work, but I right. am saying there's only so far and so deep. My first therapist was a white male right? because there weren't any black women that I was willing to see. I had met one and she was not very nice. And I was like, yeah, I won't be seeing her. So what was available was a white male. And there was only so far that I thought he could really understand me. Well, it's <clears throat> taking me back to some moments because some moments during therapy can be, um, from me sitting on this side of the table, they're aha moments. They can be traumatic and emotional moments. So, and not only that, I'm I'm comfortable enough emotionally and in this space where I can let go of some things that I didn't even recall that's been kind of like suppressed. So imagine Mm -hmm. me sharing a moment with you and I'm in the moment of feeling and discovery and then I got to stop to explain it. Mm -hmm. You know, um, you you could potentially cut off that that opportunity to go a little deeper into something that's been traumatic for me or whatever. 
Yeah. I've had that experience before. And I think, you know, I kind of, I, be, I became aware of myself. And so what happened is it was like, hey, I'm out here being vulnerable and exposed. And just <laughs> yeah. that quick, I retreated. Yeah. Like, I just thought of, <clears throat> you know, like you could be in a moment, you could be talking about a relationship. You you feel like, you know, my clothes need a washing and your therapist don't get it. <laughs> and they're like, uh-huh, uh-huh. Or you know that reference is there for you and you feel like, I can't say that because she is not going to get this or he is not going to get this, right? But that's but the, the way other you side to explain of, it. <clears throat> but the other side of that is, let me just say this. My um, supervisor, during licensure for state licensure Mm -hmm. was I won't say was he is still is he's alive a white man in his 60s but we had met years ago before I ever thought that I would be in Texas on Twitter because he does grief work and I was doing grief work at the time Mm -hmm. so we were actually doing a one-on-one consult because you have to do them uh, weekly And this was during, I forget what was going on, but at the time I was really worried about my son Hmm. and I was really concerned as a black woman with a teenage boy who was out in the world. So I was talking to him on the phone and we had, I felt like I needed to say it, right? (laughs) And so I shared with him how I felt and what happened was a really great moment because he knew he, he would never have to deal with that. Right. And what he said to me was, you know, Sydney, I can only imagine what that's like. Hmm. I've never had to deal with that. I've never had to be concerned with it, but I really hear you. Right. And I think there's something to be said for also allowing space for that. Just because I'm black and you're black doesn't mean that we culturally are exactly the same. Right. Right. I'm from Ohio. I grew up in Ohio. Both of my parents went to college. Right. That's going to be different than someone else. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, So there's we can't assume that just because we have similar levels of melanin that we will always understand references either. And that made a huge difference for me with him. You know, I, I will never forget that he, in that moment, was with me, even though he would never have to experience that. He saw you. And sometimes yeah, that's absolutely. important. He saw you. Absolutely. One of the things that is assumed is that going to see a therapy, not so much in a length of time. And you you kind of hinted on it earlier when you said, I'm here to listen to you. I don't give you the answers. We tend to think that, or I would say a lot of people tend to think that you're going to go to the therapist like you go to any other doctor. So if I go in with a knee, a hurt knee, and you give me a brace, you tell me this prescription, you give me this prescription and diagnosis, I go, Ooh, doctor, I'm healed. And we expect therapists to be like that. And once again, I'm going to self, you know, acknowledge that I had been going and I was like, you know what? I'm so sick of her 
because baby, I still got the same problems that I had before. So she must not be working. Explain to our listeners that misconception and what they can expect. I think you just did it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Am I a therapist now too? <laughs> um, so what you can expect is to do some work. You know, like I, I do a little bit of both. I don't give advice. I ask a lot of questions. Okay. I want to know, like, what did that feel like? What would you have done? What would you have done differently? What makes you think that that's what they meant? Who told you that's what they meant? Right. Um, When did that happen? Right. Like a lot of, a lot of questions and then like, oh, okay. So I, I, my clients know I give, I don't like calling it homework because we have all kinds of stuff attached to it, but after session, um, think about, I don't know what you want to call it, but I give them things to either explore or literal worksheets, Mm -hmm. like take this home, write about that. But it's usually something they're thinking about because the point to, for me, I don't want to. I don't want to talk, speak for everybody. The point for me is that we build a toolbox for clients that you have certain things that you leave with that you, oh my gosh, okay. I wasn't feeling good. Like we talked about earlier. Okay. I was at work. My boss said such and such. My, I got ratcheted up. I sat down. I was so frustrated. And then I remember, oh my gosh, I'm just going to put my hands behind my back and breathe. Okay, got it. You got that in your toolbox. Boom. My goal is that you have a toolbox that you leave with, right? That you are building things for yourself on a regular basis and that you start integrating those things. So in your toolbox, you know you have some things already, right? The whole point to therapy is not that someone is telling you because that's not building capacity. Mm-hmm. Right, it doesn't build your capacity to deal with things. Comes, it builds your capacity to go ask questions of somebody else and have them answered, and then that leaves for me. It leaves you feeling like you're not competent, and you you're not confident in being able to manage what comes. So the whole goal is that you're building things. You're learning learning how to manage whatever it is. Like if it's anxiety, if it's depression, if you're a person who does have bipolar, if you're borderline, whatever it is, you're learning how to manage those things. And Mm. that's what we're helping you do. We don't have a pill for that. Well, I mean, maybe the psychiatrists do, but I don't have a pill for that. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I've, I've had clients, we've talked about like, you know, sleep routines and they don't do that. I can't make you do it. I'm not coming to your house at night. That's (laughs) it right there. And that leads me to my next question. Comment and then question. Um, Because after a while of going through these cycles or what have you, and I think therapy is um, pretty much like anything, you have to show up, like you said, ready to do the work. And part of the work is 
introspect and being very transparent about your own crap. Um, mm-hmm. I've learned from experience and talking with some of my own clients. I'm not a therapist, but I do consult. Obviously, people share things. And, you know, while there is my truth, their truth, and the version somewhere they're in, you have to be willing to own your craft. The therapist, how do you know when someone is not being fully honest, either with you or themselves, and ultimately themselves, and and talk to our listeners about how that impacts them when they're not ready to be honest and or take the responsibility. Because a lot of things happen to us, but we also have to own what we do or how we think or how we process. We have to, it's ownership. There's some ownership in it. So I would say what it looks like is often the same conversations. And what I call um, with my clients being squirrely. So squirrely being like, squirrely being, so I talked to you about this thing right here. And instead of talking about that, you all over here, like you don't ever really answer the question, right? Like Mm -hmm. you don't really. And then when I say, so like two minutes ago, I asked you, what happened that you didn't go to work and it's all the deflection in the world we don't want to answer that question right oh okay got it we don't want to answer the question or it looks like um continuing the same conversation meaning for a month we keep talking about the same thing you're frustrated about this relationship right and we say, oh, okay, so what are some questions that you can ask this person? And you don't want to ask the questions, but you still come back and you complain. I don't know what you want me to do with that. Right? And, And what it looks like for me, like for both of those is I had to learn. So I think that clients often think that therapists, we come with knowing right like we have this whole schedule we know how things like no we're we are literally every person is different so I have to learn you and I have to learn what works and I have to like sometimes I have to be like okay Sydney you gotta have that conversation with them (laughs) right like you're not doing your job you know I gotta (laughs) I gotta I gotta start listening to some Eminem you gonna lose yourself let's go it's the moment let's do it right <laughs> right so they walk in I'm like all right so remember right like it takes me some time because we we are still like sometimes we're still learning how do we have these conversations mm-hmm. who can you have with and sometimes it is a come to Jesus for everybody right like I've let you be squirrely for the past five sessions. So in my world, that's a week, right? Right. But you've actually had five weeks of farting around, basically picking (laughs) your nose, playing around, you know what I mean? Right. Like literally wasting your time, wasting your time and your money. And if you want to address it, let's address it. And I've, I've done that with clients 
with really good uh, results. It depends on who it is, how you address it. Some right. you can go straight for the eyes and some you gotta like- Come, come around with a Jedi yeah, yeah, trick. Yeah, yeah, like they say with a dog, you don't look a dog straight in the eye, you walk to the side. Right? <laughs> you gotta come to the side with them and just go, hey, so. <laughs> or kind of like, here, look at the pretty flashy thing. Yeah, or like I'll do it. a review, like, okay, so for the past five weeks, let's talk about what has been going on. Like, you know, what have we been talking about? What are, reviewing things and then go, so how has that been going? Oh, so you haven't done that. Let's talk about what stopped you from doing it. You can now some, we go walk up on it. Yeah, and get real, <laughs> real, real, real about it, as we like to say. Yeah. Yeah, because again, like for me, the the more that I think about it, like we people who take being a therapist or a, a helper in any profession, they take it seriously. Mm-hmm. See it as like this is what I this is who I am. Mm-hmm. This is my expression. And I just happen to do it in this way, right? But I do it with people in my life in general, right? Like I'm gonna ask the questions. So you see it as like, if I don't say certain things to them, if I don't have those conversations, who's gonna have them? Like if you are squirrely with me and you're paying me, right? you are probably being squirrely with a lot of people and you're avoiding a lot of things. And so my job is I have to have that conversation with you. I have to, I have to be that person who's willing to be like, listen, it's not working for you right now. This is not working. And if you want to be squirrely some more, it's not because I haven't said anything. Because I would hate for a client to go to another therapist and that therapist say it and I knew to say it. And I didn't. Right. Right. And that's not to say that doesn't happen. Right. Because all therapists have a client that's like, this isn't working. And you're like, oh, my God, I didn't I really didn't help them. Right. Like it does come up like I I don't know what I could have done anymore. And maybe they go to another therapist. and You're like, yeah, I probably should have said that. (laughs) Right. Mm -hmm. They could have said that. But, But like the the thing is like catching people who are being squirrely and catching people who. Like they are just plain old continuing the same thing, not being squirrely, but just continuing to be the same way, getting in there with them. That makes a difference. That's building capacity. Like we talked about building their capacity, uh, letting them see like, I, I really do see you. <laughs> we can talk about movie versions, but I really do see you. Okay, but so you're recognizing, so sometimes it could just be as simple as helping people to unpack learned behaviors. Like for instance, we grew up in this time where we are to be seen and not heard. And that carries mm-hmm. over in, from adolescence well into adulthood and how we work, live, love, and relate. Um, it could be still that pray about it. And so I feel like I said something and then I could just throw it away or I've got on my superwoman cape. So are you unpacking, are you having to unpack their learned behavior as Mm -hmm. well as the, and how? Like, you got to ask that question. Like if someone 
says, so my grandmother always told me, you know, you don't say that to people. What was it that you felt you needed to say? And then now they're an adult. So you mean to tell me that little you learned not to say what you felt? Grandma told you not to say that. So you know you felt something. Naturally, you felt it. Mm-hmm. And you, like, that was who you were. And then you learned to suppress that. So now, how often do you tell people what you thought? You know how many people say when you you know that they've been wrong and someone comes back to give a glib apology and our first instinct is to say, it's okay, when it's really not okay. No. Why was it okay at first? And what what happens, like, if you ask a person when someone says, it's, well, it's okay, how do they actually feel? Like, me saying it just then, I felt like there was a board on my chest. Right. right? Like, I don't actually get to fully express. That was not okay for you to say that to me in the way that you said it. I feel like it was disrespectful. And I'm not saying that I don't want to be friends with you, but I am saying that can't continue. Right. Boundaries. And that's not one of the things and that we definitely- That is a huge have. thing. That is a huge, I don't know if there's a client that I work with that we don't talk about boundaries and assertiveness, right. you know, right. and, and we have it that assertiveness is like being mean, you know, like you can't just walk up to people and put your finger in their face and be telling them about themselves. And I was being assertive. No, you were not. You were being mean. You mean, that was rude yeah, and disrespectful because yeah. assertiveness tells people what you felt in a way that they can actually hear you. Right. And opens up an opportunity to have some conversation, but you're very definitive about it. Doing all of that, not going, I promise you, it's not, it's, it's, no, that's not an assertive. I love you, but no, <laughs> it's not a power play. It's not. Right? Assertiveness is not a power play. It really is connecting with someone and standing in who you are and letting them know your thoughts in a way that they can hear you. Now, if they get upset, they get upset. That's what I say. It's like, okay, it's not your responsibility to manage somebody else's feelings. But say mm-hmm. what you need to say in a way that people can hear it. Assertive is that fine line between aggressive and passive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you like have- you say it in a way that they're like, oh, okay, now you can feel what you want to feel about it. But like, I did not like when you walked in and yelled at me. Okay, now they can make that mean whatever they want, but you said, I did not like this. I have one final question or comment and question. Um, One of the things that I've learned in working with people is we don't know how to express anger Mm. and we don't feel comfortable feeling angry. I can recall, um, and once again, that's conditioning. I can recall you know, pop and circumstance and respect for your elders. And I definitely believe in that. However, I can re- remember being upset 
And my grandmother would say, you need to go fix your face and pull it together before you come back. Because who do you think you're talking to? And, and, and I got used to that. So you knew that you had to come basically. So I'm saying to myself, so you mean to tell me as I got older and I had children and I taught them, it's okay for you to say anything that you want to say you're not, you can't call me out of my name and I'm not, I'm still not one of your little friends, but <laughs> why should I teach them that I'm feeling hurt? I'm feeling whatever I'm feeling. I'm feeling angry. But what you're saying to me is I have to go and self-soothe and figure mm-hmm. this out, put it in a nice little box package with the Tiffany bow and all this. And before I could present it to you, well, hell, if I knew how to do all of that, I've already handled my problem over there in the corner. And so I'm yes. finding that a lot of people don't know how to show anger until it's like the bag that bursts. Hmm. What would you say to people or our listeners, which are those women in that 40 plus age group? I know I keep saying it, but the more I say it, the more we're going to get comfortable with being 40, 50, 60 or whatever <laughs> and fabulous. Okay with it. I got my grays and I'm okay with it. I, I still prefer to call these platinum, but I, I rock them. I but call them my wisdom locks, to be honest, but okay. I like it. I like it. You might want to trademark it for those who gonna go around saying, but at any rate, how, I'm going to see a t-shirt. <laughs> you might see the t-shirt on me. I was just thinking that. She's going to be like, welcome, welcome. Wait, what? how do you handle anger and 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 I think anger is okay even when you're being assertive to let someone's you know say hey I'm a whole lot of pissed off about what you did I love that I'm a whole lot pissed off I'm gonna start using that so I don't know I think once you get to a certain point like a certain age you have to now learn to sit with what you actually feel in your body and where you feel it. Right. I, um, a little nugget, what I share with clients is what's called the emotion body map. Hmm. The emotion body map, you can Google and click on um, images. And it's an image of where different emotions show up in our body. We are not taught to sit with anger because anger can also be like disgust and like we just call it anger fear angry no you yes right Mm -hmm. so if you sit with it and feel it in your body number one for us we have tend to have heart issues right right and i forget i met someone who talked about um lung issues have to do with carrying things, right? Wanting, feeling worthy. Well, Mm. surprised. My mom died of lung cancer. Mm. And that was one of the things that we often talked about was her feeling loved and worthy and feeling like people were proud of her, specifically her mother, right? My grandmother, feeling proud of her even in the choices she made she had asked me that once you know like did I make the right choices 
right? And my mom was wow. in her fifties when she died. And I said, you made the best choice you, you, you could with the information you had, right? But what we do is we hold all of that stuff and it becomes a part of our body and shows up in headaches and lung issues and mm-hmm. high blood pressure and back issues. My knees hurt, right? Mm-hmm. But when it comes to anger, learning to sit with it and then be able to um, dissect, am I actually angry? Am I angry is, or is that how it shows up, right? Is that the product? Right. Am I actually like, do I feel disrespected? Do I feel like, um, am I frustrated? Mm -hmm. Am I concerned? I can say as a parent, there was a time where I was, I still am somewhat quick tempered, but I think I've, I've learned, right? But I would, I was quick with my son. And I had to, at one point, have a conversation with him that at that time, what was going on for me was being a single parent in graduate school and not knowing where our finances were going to come from. And oftentimes knowing, oh my gosh, so I have to find the rent money. I have to make sure that the lights stay on. I didn't have a car at one point. So now I got to, okay, when am I going to go to the grocery store in between studying and writing papers, right? And and being concerned for having, uh, I think at the time, at the height of my frustration with him, I was probably, um, it was around the time that Trayvon Martin Right. Um, was killed and my son right. was 14 and he was wearing hoodies and I was I wanted to let him go be 14 but I wanted I wanted him to be safe and so my concern and frustration and anger at everything else that was going on sometimes came to him because I'm and trying so, to protect you we do yeah that. So it was, was it anger? It came out as anger to him, but I had to tell him years later, like it was my concern. It was my love. It was my frustration. It was my annoyance. It was all of that other stuff. It was, you know, all of these things that go on. And when you didn't clean the bathroom, (laughs) right? Yeah. The camels, the hair on the camels back. Yeah, it was that. Yeah, you know, or like I just came home from you know internship in San Antonio, which was like three hours. So I had gone eight hours and drove three hours home, and like you didn't clean the kitchen after I had stayed up and cooked dinner. Like I can't. <laughs> you impact a lot right there. You said something because historically we are known as angry black woman, and. Yeah what can be perceived as anger, yes. I'm not smiling, um, is I'm focused, I'm scared, I'm overwhelmed, exactly. I'm overworked, I'm fearful, I'm, I'm thinking. tired, I'm thinking, <laughs> I'm fo- you know, all of these different things. And then Absolutely. it takes a little something like that because they may think, well, dang, all I did was forget to clean up the bathroom, but they didn't know I just need you to clean the bathroom because I need you to clean the bathroom. I needed to make sure that this was done. And right. on my way home, I was worried that, you know, like you okay. at that time, if if my truck had gotten a flat, that would have been a financial hit that would have been really hard for me. Right. Mm-hmm. 
So being able to look at all of that, and I think to bring it back to anger, if we learn to be able to identify what are the things that, uh, like unpack it, I we say unpack a lot. Like if we unravel that ball of yarn, mm-hmm. what are the other emotions that are under that and be able to identify those and say, yes, it came out as anger, but it is all of these other things, you know, feeling unworthy, feeling like I haven't done enough, feeling, you know, as women, feeling that I wasn't good enough. I wasn't pretty enough. I wasn't tall enough. I wasn't skinny enough. I wasn't smart enough, or I was too smart and nobody wanted to be with me, you know, all of that. I was, I was the smart girl. So Mm -hmm. nobody wanted to be around Mm me. Um, You know, like I was the athletic girl who I did pretty well in school and I kept to myself, not because, because that's part of my personality. It always has been right. So it wasn't because I was standoffish. I was standoffish because I wasn't all that confident. I was confident on the volleyball court, on the basketball court. I'm good. In certain classes, I'm good. But if you look at me, (laughs) I don't know what to do with that, right? Oh my gosh, I'm concerned. Yes, don't look at me. Don't look at me. Look at me, me, right? Yeah. So being able to, as women say, okay, I might be angry. I might be frustrated. I might be, you know, like I'm sad. Well, is it sad? you know, is it disappointment, you know, being able to really unravel and look at what's under some things and then just sit with it. That's how we learn to be able to to be with being angry and have it um, expressed in a healthy way. And it takes time, you know, it takes, um, I, I say to clients a lot that it's building the muscle and unlearning because if you're used to being quick or mm-hmm. even being, um, I can't find a, another way to, I can't think of the way to say it, but being quick witted mm-hmm. or, you know, like always having a comeback, that's often, you know, like, I don't want to be vulnerable. It's so a defense mechanism. Yeah. It you is. keep people at, at bay. And so that's actually like, what's under that? Oh, I don't want people to get close to me. I've been hurt. So when we start unpacking those, we can really learn how to be with the emotions that we have. Because don't see me manifest itself in a lot of different ways. We put on weight, we become quick-witted and a multitude of, of different things. You've given some great information during these conversations and Wow, um, the toolkit and some of the other things. What are, there are people that still aren't convinced or prepared to go to therapy, be it financial, you know, they're still working through their own, whatever that is. What are some self-care in the mental health area, things that you could say to someone that they could do for themselves, just for them? couple of tips so the first thing I want to say is there is um can I can I give a slight plug of course therapy okay so there's an organization called I believe it's um Loveland Foundation Loveland mm-hmm. L-O-V-E-L-A-N-D Foundation and they actually give um money to people who apply 
to be able to go to therapy. So I think it's four or five sessions they'll pay for, um, but they give you, I think it's $125 for each of those vouchers. Mm -hmm. I have had people who um, contacted me using those. So you can find those. Loveland is one place. Um, But as far as like just things you can do, take off your shoes and socks and go walk outside in the grass. People say, what? No, like you do have on the bottom of your feet, your bottom of your feet really connect you to the earth, but there's also different um, spots on your feet Mm -hmm. that connect to different places in your body. Do that. Listen to some music. One of the things that I send clients often is a YouTube video by the honest guys. Mm -hmm. Um, they do guided meditations and there's also one, I don't think it's by them, but there's a guided meditation that is like a 30 minute walking meditation, put your headphones on and they actually have you present using your five senses. What do you see? What do you smell? What do you hear? You know, what, you know, what do you feel? Is the wind blowing? Is it cool? Is it hot? You know, all of that, those are the type of things that are out there that you can find on your own. But the other one, I think, is just, we talk about mindfulness, and mindfulness really is just being in the moment, right? Mm-hmm. You're talking about mindfulness like it's some, I don't know, esoteric thing that you got to go do in a white room with a robe on or something. But it's a catchphrase, unfortunately. Unfortunately. I, mm-hmm. so one way that you can actually be mindful if you're a person who is cooking, anything can be mindful using your right. five senses. What do you smell while you're cooking? What do you see when you're eating? What do you taste? What do you hear? Like I say, cutting carrots, what do you hear? You hear your knife go through and then maybe hit the cutting board, right? So you're listening for those things when you're eating, same thing. What does your food look like? What does it smell like? Does it taste like, what does it feel like on your tongue? Don't hurry up and swallow it, really taste it. Those are things that you can do for yourself because it makes you slow down. You know, it's hard to be somewhere else when you're paying attention to what you're chewing. What does it sa- what does it sound like when you're chewing it? <laughs> right? Yeah. I did that with some kids in um, a classroom some years ago and they loved it. They loved it. Like I had gummy bears. I had um, dried fruits and dried vegetables, what they don't always eat. And they loved it because they got to try different things. And then, oh, what does it taste like? What does it smell like? What does it feel like in your hand? What does it feel like on your tongue? What do you hear when you're chewing it? And they would sit there, you know, like, oh, it's crunchy. <laughs> oh, okay, got it. That's a wonderful gift to give to kids so that when they become adults, they've learned these practices. And it's it's ingrained in them. So I think that's wonderful. And obviously, I think you're wonderful. How do our listeners get in touch with you? How do they follow? How do they connect with you? Oh, so um, on Instagram or IG, (laughs) I believe I am Sydney Foster's Health. And then on Facebook, you would look for Fostering Health Alliance. That is the name of my business. And my website is sydneygaskins.com. And I think that's it. I don't tweet a whole lot. So I don't really know that handle very well. 
Um, I go on and I'll look at some things and then I'm done. <laughs> but on on Facebook and Instagram is probably the best way to get me. Perfect. I am so thankful to you and what you do and those that look like you that help people that look like me and anybody else. Um, we will have your information at the bottom of however you are listening or watching this episode, her contact information will be there. If you've enjoyed this episode with Miss Sydney Gassens, please go ahead and subscribe, like, leave a comment, and join the conversation. I appreciate your time and I appreciate your expertise. Thank you for joining me. Well, thank you for having me. It was so much fun.